Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Rotor World Football Show's Week 9 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Rain, and in just a few moments here, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Rotor World team. Broke down and covered the games for us this weekend. We're going to be diving into the box scores, but also talking about all the much-needed context you need to know for your fantasy football teams. Let's get to the games. The Vikings defeated the Commanders 20-17, to and Denny Carter, Kirk Cousins, got a revenge game victory over his former team. And he, he did the uh, um, the the thing that he did. What, what was it? You like? How do you like me? Or uh, uh, you like that? Yeah, he did that in the locker room afterward. You like that? And uh, the team chanted it with him. It was uh, very very corny, and apparently that will never go away. Uh, yeah, well, there's a video going around of him dancing with his shirt off on the plane home. I believe. Wow. So he's he's been he's enjoying this victory. He is. He didn't play very well, uh, but uh, I guess that doesn't matter here. Uh, yeah, I mean, an inefficient day. Um, he looked to be in, in for a big day. Uh, they, he marched down the field with a pass-heavy uh, game plan in the first quarter through a, a, a quick early touchdown to Justin Jefferson. Um, he was under constant pressure, sacked three times. Um, he uh, fumbled once. He, he got buried a few times, and he was really slow getting up after connecting with Jefferson on a 47-yard downfield shot uh, in the third quarter. Uh, It looked to be maybe his ribs or his arm. His arm was sort of hanging funny, a little funny after that, but he came back. He only missed one play, came back in, um, guided them to victory. So I guess it did work out for him, but really, really a a down day overall for Cousins. You mentioned uh, before we started that Justin Jefferson had uh, three red zone targets or end zone targets in this end game. Zone, he did yeah. score a touchdown, but seven for one fifteen and one. So it sounds like it could have been a bigger day. It, it looked, it looked like a bigger day. Like it, it, it seemed like a, like an eruption type situation for Jefferson. Um, they, they really were, were leaving him uh, in single coverage for, you know, most of the game, if not all the game. And uh, cousins had some bad throws to him. That should, that should have been pretty easy completions. Like he got he got the one early touchdown, so that's good. He, he scored thirty fantasy points, so you know you, you you can't be too disappointed. But it looked it looked like a like a forty plus point mm. uh, game for for a while there. He did lead the team uh, in targets, and uh, second in line was quite a surprise. Pat, it was T.J. Hawkinson who joined the team five days, six days ago now. Uh, came in. Saw nine targets, caught all nine of them, ran a route on a, over 80% of Kirk Cousins' dropbacks. Uh, they just put him right into the game plan and said, you're, you're our full-time route-running, pass-catching tight end. And he ate up those middle-of-the-field targets. Um, 
I really, really good stuff for his fantasy prospects going forward. Yeah, that's uh, very impressive. Given that, like, how did, I, I'm I'm kind of shocked by that. Um, you know, he's running so many routes, and the fact that he's able to pick up the playbook that quickly. Like, you, you'd think it would take a few weeks, but this probably pretty bad news, I would imagine, for Adam Thielen. He did see seven targets here, went three for sixty-seven. But yeah, if Hawkinson's already the number two target here. You know, it could yeah. really reduce his fantasy relevance. Right, and and Thielen, as as usual, ran around on basically every drop back. Um, KG Osborne was just just behind that, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think Thielen and Hawkinson will sort of naturally compete for the same sort of targets in in the Minnesota offense. I think on days where the Minnesota offense is is pushed into um, kind of a fast pace, pass heavy type script, um, we could see that next week. By the way, against Buffalo very easily. I, I think that both of these guys can do okay. You know, both Hawkinson and, and Thielen can do, but if the volume is not there, I worry about Thielen as even as a floor option, honestly, in, in PPR formats, um, they, they, they seem intent. And they and you know, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reported on Saturday night. He said, people were telling me within the Vikings organization, they're going to have Hawkinson out there and he's going to be a key part of their game plan. Now I saw that and said, Ah, no way. That's just yeah. that's just coach B. That's just a nonsense report about like we don't regret this trade at all. We're going to use our, <laughs> our, our our new guy, and uh, and but they did they did. We we should have listened. I should have listened. And uh, I, I think I think he's a like obviously like a locked in tight end one going forward. Uh, tell me about Dalvin Cook, who I had a had a touchdown grab in this game that was pretty nice. Yeah, uh, seventeen rushes, forty seven yards. Uh, Alexander Madison only had two carries for for one yard. So, so Dalvin Cook had another really uh, mediocre day on the ground, 2.7 yards per carry. He had a, a long rush of nine yards. That was his mm. sort of highlight of the day on the ground. Now, he saved his day. Uh, he saw six targets on the day. He caught two, and one of them was a nine-yard touchdown reception from Kirk Cousins. A really nice play. Corner of the end zone. He was being. He had a guy draped all over him, holding one arm. He caught it with his, his free arm. Uh, that saved his day. Otherwise, it was it was going to be a, a, a pretty painful fantasy outing for Dalvin Cook. Yeah, for sure. Although it's kind of nice he saved it with an incredible play. That makes me feel a little bit better about it. It does. It does. I, I will say I'm, I'm interested to see when you know uh, when the stats come out on this game uh, to see how run heavy the Vikings were mm-hmm. on first down because to me it they seemed very intent on establishing it in this one and the, the final score would tell you that like they seemed okay to just it's you know to just grind it out against Washington. Washington seems like that was kind of their game plan too. Brian Robinson had 13 carries, Antonio Gibson 11, Taylor Heineke only 28 attempts. So pretty run heavy approach from Washington. Yeah, they they were not going to uh you know go fast paced. They weren't they weren't going to push the, the tempo at all. They were going to drain the clock. They were going to run. They were going to run Robinson three yards in the cloud of dust over and over and over again. Really, uh, it's a like we talked about before. Uh, just as a, a, such a fragile way to approach the game, and all it takes is one mistake from Heineke, which he made. He threw a fourth quarter interception on a high pass, and that that breaks down the the model that you're trying to use um, yep. this fragile model, and and we we see it we see it quite often. I, I feel like with Washington and Antonio Gibson didn't really do anything here. Uh, I mentioned that he had 11 rushes to Brian Robinson's 13. 
the efficiency that we've associated with Gibson this year, you know, being much better than Robinson wasn't actually the case here. He had 3.3 yards per carry Robinson 3.4. So both were pretty bad, but Gibson had just three targets going two for 11 with JD McKissick out. That's pretty disappointing. Yeah. Heineke targeted running backs 13 times last week against the Colts. So with McKissick out, I was thinking, Oh man, like with the right scripts, you know, Gibson could see double digit targets here. Uh, last week he caught seven of seven, including a, a touchdown from Heineke. So I, w- I was very bullish on Gibson. He ran 20 routes on 33 Heineke dropbacks, was only targeted three times. His only his only decent play came on the last last play of the game, which was just a check down where he was trying to get out of bounds, and the Vikings defense sort of let him run uh, run the clock out basically, um, and they they couldn't get another snap off. So uh, incredibly disappointing day if you had Gibson and you thought oh my god like he's gonna get all the pass catching work he kind of did but there just wasn't that much to go around yeah like even Terry McLaurin here had five for 56 on nine targets Curtis Samuel led the team with 65 yards he got in the end zone only three receptions on four targets though so not a ton of receiving volume and Terry held in check after kind of putting them on his back for the last two games yeah, I mean, on a day when Heineke throws for 150 yards, it's going to be hard to come up with anything relevant for fantasy. Yeah. Curtis Samuel got, well, I should say Heineke got fortunate with a uh, a very ill-advised uh, deep ball to Curtis Samuel in the first half where... He'll do that. Yeah, uh, triple coverage, into triple coverage. Mm. One of the defenders from Minnesota bumped into a ref, fell down, just as the ball was was dropping... Uh, it, it opened up just enough space for Curtis Samuel to sneak in, kind of come back toward the ball, catch the ball, roll into the end zone. So it ends up looking like a 49 – in, in the stat stat book, uh, stat sheet, some would say, 49-yard uh, touchdown. It was uh, pretty lucky, I have to say. And then they reviewed that, right? There was like a long review because he, he like literally had, had to roll in on the ground. Yeah, they were seeing if he was touched and all this, and you know where he would have been. And but no, but everybody was so uh, all the Vikings were so disturbed by the ref uh, getting in the way that they forgot to uh, touch him at the two yard line. <laughs> all right, Denny Carter, thank you. The Chargers defeated the Falcons twenty to seventeen, and Cal Dvorak. This was a game dominated by running back scoring with Cordell Patterson returning and scoring two touchdowns in this game. Austin Eckler also getting in the end zone. Yeah, Patterson looked good. Uh, they didn't give him like a full workload, but to be fair, when like Tyler Ogio's ripping him, he's got 10 for 99. Caleb Huntley in the game before this looked good as well, and it's Patterson's first game back from IR. You understand why they didn't. He actually didn't have an extremely efficient game, though he did have a long, I want to say it's like 30-yard run for a touchdown called back. He scored later on the drive, so he makes up for it anyway. It just doesn't show up quite as well in the in the box score, but gets in the end zone nonetheless. And Patterson, or and Eckler, also had one called back that was it, it would have been one of the just crazier touchdowns you would have seen just by pure happenstance where guy tackles him but he rolls over the guy no body parts touch the ground and just walks in after that everyone thinks the play is dead luckily for the falcons defense they lose anyway so it doesn't really matter luckily for them though at least on that play they don't get completely embarrassed and his elbow did at some point clip the ground so could have been an even more massive day especially for eckler had he gotten that one but yeah it was you know a 30-37 ends up total points scored. The running back score, as you expect in that type of format. It's a shame that Echo's elbow was down on that play because from the one angle, it really looked like it wasn't. And Live, I thought like, he made it. I thought he made yeah. it for sure. I was like, why are they even looking at this? But it was correct. <laughs> it, it did hit. <laughs> it was a pretty impressive play when, you, when it, it cool. looked like his elbow hadn't hit. Um, yeah, so on the 
let's talk a little bit more about the Falcons here. The running game was getting going. All three guys, Huntley, Patterson, Algier, had at least seven carries. Huntley had seven, mm-hmm. the least of them. Um, but you mentioned Algier had 10 carries for 99, Patterson 13 for, for 44 and got in the end zone twice. But talk to me about the passing game, uh, particularly a play I saw <laughs> Do where I have to? Kyle Pitts was pretty open, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. That I, I think uh colleague Nick Mencio totaled up and said had he caught this. It's a deep shot from Mariota. Pitts has space between him and the nearest defender. And it like it's hard to tell exactly what happens. It looks clearly to be overthrown for the route Pitts is running. But to be fair to Mariota, and I, I couldn't tell by Mariota's body language, but maybe he was thinking the same thing. There was a lot of hang time on that ball. And Pitts, if you, you know, just figure out how much hang time was on it. Seems like he could have adjusted to it. So I'm, it's difficult to say where the blame lies. Obviously, like, if you just throw it on a rope into Pitts' arms, and, you know, me and you both want it to be not Pitts' fault. <laughs> he prob- I think he probably could have adjusted to it. It doesn't mean it was a great throw, yeah. but it, it was in the air a long time. And he wasn't that close to it. So I still feel like you want your quarterback to just hit your guy in the numbers. He shouldn't have to adjust. If you're a quarterback, though, you probably want him to adjust to the ball. I think it would have been like a 73-yard touchdown. He would have he walked it in if it was in stride. And uh, it was overthrown by a few yards, depending on your account of how it was thrown exactly. And that was the only interesting passing play of the day, I think. <laughs> like, Well, was- I, I, there's one more I want to ask you about, because that was the low light for Pitts. But the low light for London was, didn't he have a, a fumble where he the guy just came and took the ball out of his arms? Yeah, it was in the red zone, too. And like when you look at the score back there in the red zone, I think the next drive technically was uh, eventually a Chargers interception. So specifically that one in the exact sequence of the game doesn't technically hurt them. But you lost the game well, they by three. scored. Yeah, exactly. You lost the game by three. Uh, and he was in the red zone. I think it was like at the 11 or something. And it's like. I mean, that one, he wasn't like, obviously he wasn't getting in the end zone either way, but for someone like the Pitts, you know, non-touchdown for Drake London getting red zone receptions, this team throws so little and they're not great at it. Even when they do throw that, like you need to catch all seven of your targets. Cause that's still somehow probably like a 25% target share. You have to be perfect because you have so few opportunities to make your fantasy day that any little mistake. And that's like a third of your chances are just out the window. Right? So mm. Just any any time one of these guys doesn't have a decent efficiency day, it's going to be a dreadful, like, just aggregate fantasy day. And we saw that again today, as we've seen so many times this year. Yeah. Two for 27 for Pitts on seven targets. Uh, One for 24 from Algier, the next leading receiver. Drake London just three for 23 on seven targets, which matched Pitts. But that lost fumble really hurt. Let's move to the Chargers side. Mentioned that Eckler got in the end zone here. 14 for 47 rushing for him. Um, he also had nine targets going seven for 24 and a touchdown. So scores twice. Uh, and then we talked about that other long run. So I feel like we covered Eckler pretty well, but yeah. talk to me about Herbert in this passing game. And, you know, obviously no Keenan Allen, no Mike Williams, but Josh Palmer was able to step up. It looks like 10 targets, eight for one six. Yeah. Uh, Palmer was clearly the guy, although to be fair, we saw Michael Bandy pick up for like eight targets. Gerald Everett also got eight targets, but Palmer is the one who actually made the most of his, uh, of his opportunities. The only one topping 53 yards. Deandre Carter was the other guy and they had a clear three receiver set of Carter plus Palmer plus Bandy. And no one else was really involved. No other tight ends, no other running backs in the passing game. You know, Sonny Michelle doesn't catch his only target. Shocker. I think that was a drop. Too. Actually, I know for a fact it was a drop too. And even, I mean, on the one hand, we're still seeing the exact same thing. And it makes sense with Herbert that without Michael Williams, without Keenan Allen, the game, the field is just compressed so much for him. And it shows up in his, like, I think, sub six yards per attempt in this game. 
But on the other hand, the interception that he had, he had the one touchdown, one interception, 245 yards. The interception is 100% the fault of, I believe it's Josh Palmer, where it hits him dead in the numbers and he deflects it up like he's setting in a game mm. of volleyball and it goes into the hands <laughs> of uh, one of the safeties, I think, of Atlanta. So the, the mistakes, he didn't make great, like, you know, egregious mistakes, right? But we're just seeing no big plays. This offense has no spark unless it's like long Eckler runs. Yeah, I guess that makes sense given all the injuries. And it seems like they probably kind of got away with one here, right? Like it, it felt like the Falcons could have won this game. Is that Was that your read? Yeah, absolutely. Like we talked about, there was one, you know, it's one play uh, from Drake London in the red zone, a non-fumble, and maybe they have a chance to win. Also, the end of the game, when you see on the uh, on the upcoming games, I, I have Los Angeles, I'm blurbing Los Angeles Chargers for Atlanta Falcons. I'm like, oh, what kind of dumb stuff is the end of this game going to have? <laughs> and we got it. We got it. There was a, a fumble. Austin Eckler fumbles the ball. <laughs> I, I forget what, I think it was like defensive lineman, I believe, from the Falcons. Picks it up and he's chugging. He's chugging. He's going deep. And the ball just pops out of his hands. No, no, not contested in any way. He didn't get stripped. You know, it was not stripped. He just, oh, he drops it. He just drops it like it's hot. <laughs> and the Chargers get it back. And uh, they get back into field goal range. So 100% it was winnable. And I think the point you're circling back to, or I'd like to circle back to, is this will not be this type of game a winning strategy when they go back to the next time they play the Chiefs or the next right. time they get really a, an opponent that can put up more than 17. The Falcons' whole shtick is that if they hold you below like 20 points, they have a chance. And once you hit that threshold, it's very unlikely. I know they did do it against the Panthers last week, but that has generally been their shtick is like, if you put up just a very low bar of points, you can beat the Falcons. That's not the case with every team. It's not the case with most teams. So this will probably not be a winning strategy from a real football sense for the Chargers going forward. Yep. Hopefully they can get some some of their wide receivers back healthy. But Kyle Dvorak, thanks so much. Thank you. The Jets stunned the Bills 20-17. to Lawrence Jackson, the Jets defeated the Bills for the first time today since 2019. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a great game, actually. Just a great football game. Not too much scoring, not too little. A lot of good defensive football played. And what the Jets did, really, man, they just they really just stayed close. Um, the, the Bills got up a couple of scores on them, got a double-digit lead on them, but they didn't, you know, they didn't get flustered. They, they, they kept playing good defense. Zach Wilson managed the game well. They was able to pull it off late. Yeah, defense really seems to be uh, what did it here for the Jets. Josh Allen threw 40, 34 times, but only for 205 yards. He threw two interceptions. He did not throw for a touchdown. Did rush for two touchdowns, rushing for 86 yards yards on nine carries. But still, I mean, 205 and two interceptions for Josh Allen's pretty poor day. Yeah, and, and when you think about that, uh, he only completed 53% of his passes. He would actually had a third interception to, to hear Whitehead. He actually just dropped the ball. But yeah. um, the Jets' front seven, they amped up the pressure in the second half, and that's what got him uh, to being sacked five times. They were in his face all day. They stuffed the run, made him one-dimensional, where the only running – that they could do was Josh Allen. Um, so just hats off to the Jets defense, man. It was definitely a poor day on uh, Josh Allen's part. And those two interceptions, they were very uncharacteristic. Like, it probably won't see two worst interceptions thrown this season. 
Yeah, I saw the first one and it was pretty bad. It was just like he completely either didn't see the defender or just missed the throw badly. It was did not seem like a Josh Allen type of play. Yeah, it didn't seem like a NFL quarterback type of play. Like the interceptions we saw from Zach Wilson in week eight, these were worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's not great. Uh, well, tell me about Diggs and Gabe Davis here. Uh, Stephon Diggs had 10 targets, five receptions, 93 yards, didn't score. Obviously, no one scored. Josh Allen didn't throw for a touchdown. Gabe Davis had five targets, two for 33. He was the target on the final play of the game, right? Yes, yes, and that, that was a good play breakup by uh, the cornerback, DJ Reed. Um, you know, just another typical day for them. You know, he kind of – Josh Allen kind of honed in like much like much of the time he does. He honed in on Stephon Diggs. They connected on a 42-yard completion on the first series. But other than that, man, it really wasn't much going on in the passing game. You had your standard – two-catch, 33-yard game for Gabe Davis. This is his second week in a row uh, doing something very similar to that. So that puts him on par to blow up next week. Um, And other than that, man, Dawson Knox really couldn't get going. Not much out of the running backs in the passing game. Isaiah McKenzie only two catches for 12 yards. So the passing game, there was pretty – there wasn't much to, you know, hang your hat on outside of that. 42 yard completion early on you mentioned you know not much from the running backs in the passing game Naheem Hines was active for this game you know obviously they just traded for him he saw one target uh didn't record a rush though didn't catch that target so no touches for Naheem Hines here James Cook actually played a decent amount he had four targets going two for 18 rushed four times for 15 yards but uh Devin Singletary still seems like he's the clear lead back for now eight carries 24 yards on the ground and uh five targets four for 24 through the air so what, what were your kind of your thoughts here in Naheem Hines first game with the team yeah yeah so he actually um he was back there for punt return so mm. to me it just looks like you know it what it's what it was he just got to the team's got to get used to the offense um you could probably you might be able to see him more involved in week 10 versus the Vikings but it was clear that I, th- I think they made it known he wasn't going to be too involved with the offense this early and it definitely showed as you mentioned the one target yeah I also mentioned Dawson Knox had four targets three for 25 but just just not a lot here uh for the Bills uh, uncharacteristically bad day let's move on to the Jets <laughs> like you know the Bills box score is definitely surprising the Jets box score is like not as surprising, but it's it's surprising when in the context of this team won. Zach Wilson had yeah. 25 attempts for only 154 yards, one touchdown, did not throw a pick at least. Uh, Garrett Wilson led the way on nine targets, eight for 92, uh, did not score though. And then we have Michael Carter leading the way on the ground, 12 for 76 and a touchdown, 6.3 yards per carry. So that was actually a bright spot for this team, but overall like yeah. not a super strong outing on offense. Yeah. So they, they pretty much did what they had to do. Uh, as you mentioned, Zach Wilson, he threw no interceptions. He did lose a fumble early. It ended up not being able to hurt him, but he managed the game. Well, he made throws when he had to make them. They were safe throws. He played within the offense and Michael Carter and James Robinson were effective runners. 
James Robinson only averaged 3.7 yards a carry, but he also got his first touchdown as a jet catching the screen for seven yards on a touchdown. So he actually got 15 touches in the game. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so Michael Carter had big runs late in the game, including the 25-yarder there. So they were – and he only had one catch for 10 yards. We kind of figured that this would be a game for him to catch the ball a lot. We figured they'd be down, but no – they were actually able to run the ball effectively when they needed to. And that's pretty – that and defense, pretty much the combination of that helped them win the game. Yeah, definitely definitely surprising that running the ball effectively and uh, playing some defense was enough to get it done against the Bills. But Bills only scored 17 points, so that does make sense. Any thoughts on Tyler Conklin, who completely disappeared in this game, two targets, one for seven? Um and just kind of the, the Jets pass game, it seems like, whereas last week maybe we thought Conklin starting to emerge as someone we can rely on again as kind of a low-end T1 streamer type. Is it now just Garrett Wilson here? He had uh, eight for 92 on nine targets, as I mentioned before. Well, the thing with Conklin is is that him and C.J. Uzoma are kind of like a tag team tight end tandem, and mm. neither one of them is some people you can rely on. Garrett Wilson, on the other hand, um, Wilson was looking for him early and often. Now, that 92 yards, that's not great. It's good, right? But the way he made some of them dudes miss after the catch and when he was catching those passes, moving the chains on third downs when the team really needed it, that really showed that he's going to be heavily re- relied upon going forward. In fact, he's probably the – I mean, I don't think this is – I think we all know this is he'd be the only Jets receiver uh, that you'd want to think about starting in fantasy. But it was impressive to see him not just the 92 yards, but how he got those 92 yards against that defense. Was Elijah Moore active for this game? Elijah Moore was indeed active. I don't know the exact number of plays he played in the game. He was just running around in motion a lot, man. He was he was there. But, uh, you know, guys like uh, Braxton Berrios, Denzel Mims, who Denzel Mims saw four targets in the game, only caught one of those. But it it was kind of the same song as the weeks prior. You know, they have them active. They let them play a little bit, you know, but not really anything to see there. He was just going in a lot of orbit motion, but that was really about it, man, just him getting that cardio in. Yeah, he was not targeted in this game, so truly, truly just a cardio day. All right, Lawrence Jackson, appreciate it. All right, man, no problem. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic, because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, on the PGA Tour, and in the Premier League. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Chargers and the 49ers in our Sunday Night 7 contest. The Lions defeated the Packers 15-9. Patrick Darty, the Packers have now lost five straight games for the first time since 2008. Yeah, and they had gone three seasons with Matt LaFleur and never lost five games in a season. And wow. you know, This five-game losing streak has included to Jared Goff. It's included to the New York Jets. It's included things Aaron Rodgers has not done either in years or ever in his career. So his first three interception games since 2017. It's the first time ever where he had multiple interceptions inside the red zone in a game. Mm-hmm. And his third interception, he threw the ball from the Lions 22. So spiritually, it was a red zone interception again. And it's weird to say what's going on with Rodgers because, uh, I mean, clearly the lack of receivers is, is hurting him. Like it's, it's kind of excuse making, but – I mean, Romeo Dobbs, you know, finally pops up. Like, maybe Romeo Dobbs is finally going to contribute to this offense. He gets hurt on literally the first play of the game, injures his ankle on the Packers. First play from scrimmage. You know, Alan Lazar is playing, like, with one shoulder. Sammy Watkins was a disaster. He dropped a screen. Um, He ran a slant on an end zone fade. He ran the wrong route on the Packers' final play from scrimmage. Probably wouldn't have been a completion anyway. But not on the same page with Aaron Rodgers whatsoever. So this is hurting him, but then also physically he might have finally lost a step. He still throws a really good ball, but Samari Toure open for two big plays down the field. One should have been a 44-yard touchdown. Rodgers just doesn't get just doesn't get enough underneath it ever so slightly. It wasn't like a dead dove or anything like that. The kind of pass for Aaron Rodgers in the past that just always had the right touch, no matter what. Didn't have it on a play they really needed. Didn't have it when Toure was again open down the field on a scramble drill. And it's just kind of everything, a confluence of events uh, combining to make this a really, really, really struggling offense. One of those Torrey interceptions, right, was he Torrey was past the defender. So it's it's, you know, an extremely costly interception. But also, you know, if he puts that on target, could have been a really big play. Right. Well, yeah. And and then too the one. Yeah. The miss. It wasn't an interception. The play I was talking oh. about the, what could have been a 44 yard touchdown. He was past the defender. He had him beat. And it's the kind of drop in a bucket throw. Rodgers always make it was a very difficult throw like a lot of quarterbacks would not have ever made this throw no matter what stage of their career was in but it's one Rodgers just always made and it required a good play by the defense it was a leaping grab where he got literally a finger on it but just yeah everything it's just a play that you're not used to seeing Aaron Rodgers not immediately well there's a 44 yard touchdown you know they hadn't done anything for two drives but now Aaron Rodgers, because this is just what he does, hits a 44-yard touchdown, and he just always produces a million fantasy points even though he only attempts 30 passes. That is not happening this year. Alan Lazard at least had a big game, 10 targets, 4 for 87, and a touchdown. You mentioned that Romeo Dobbs was injured in this game. Seemed like the type of injury that could keep him out a little bit maybe. I mean, he was limping off the field. So Lazard, is he going to be kind of like a like a fairly trustworthy wide receiver or – do you feel like this matchup, which this is a really, really easy matchup, you know, was that the only thing kind of propping him up here? 
I don't think, I mean, the volume was definitely propping him up. And Alan Lazard, yeah. you know, playing through the shoulder injury did not appear to be 100% healthy, kind of at least early in the game. But, I mean, it, it didn't matter. They needed his targets so bad. I mean, 10 to 12 targets probably feels like his floor going forward for a while because, like you hinted at with Dobbs, it looks to maybe be like an injured reserve type of injury, not like season-ending, but like it looked like a high ankle sprain is what it looked like. He could barely get off the field. He had to be carried to the blue tent. He was carted to the locker room with a shoe off. You know, he's booted up and in crutches after the game. Like none of the early signals are good with this injury whatsoever. And, you know, Robinson, again, as I just laid out, like Sammy Watkins, Pierce does have zero chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. Toure kind of has some chemistry, but it's a work in progress. And it's just hard to see how Alan Lazard is not like a 10-target player for the foreseeable future. That makes sense. Aaron, Aaron Jones here also suffered an injury, right? He did an ankle injury. This one appeared more minor. This one, you know, I'm not a doctor, a spoiler alert, Um, but he tweaked his ankle. He then jogged to the locker room. There was no cart. He wasn't assisted. He really ran back out to the sideline. I did not witness this with my own eyes, but I said he ran to the sideline. He finished the game on the sideline, but he never reentered. Maybe like a Cooper cup, like week eight type situation where kind of like makes their heart skip a beat for a second, but doesn't seem like – definitely not an IR-type injury. Seemed to have avoided a high ankle sprain. He wasn't a boot, et cetera, after the game. But, you know, they do that all the time uh, just to try to keep you know, protect the foot. My early guess is that he will be active against the Cowboys in Week 10, but also obviously one we're going to have to monitor all week. Yeah, for sure. In a game they lost as well, he wasn't able to come back in. So seems like maybe he could Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, not zero concern. But, again, he wasn't carded. He wasn't assisted. Uh, it's kind of seemed like the you know, like when you're my age, which is 36, kind of seemed like this the dumb like random ankle roll you'll have mm. at various points in your life, or maybe like a minor like you stepped on someone's foot uh, in basketball, but you didn't you know you didn't you didn't tear the tendon basically. I've done both. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend the tendon part. Yeah, uh, the the old ankle roll. Uh, hopefully, hopefully nothing major. I will mention he didn't have a very good game before exiting nine for 25, 2.5. Yards per carry there, uh, not all that involved in the passing game. I'm I'm now missing him in the box. Oh, two two targets, two for twenty. Yeah, which you know never we still don't understand whatsoever. Uh, no touchdown. AJ Dillon got brick walled twice from the one yard line. You know the Zoomers will not remember when Aaron Jones was one of the premier goal line backs in the entire NFL. Yeah, I feel like he still and, could be. Yeah, and I definitely definitely think. And you know he's paid twelve million dollars a year. Seems like maybe you would want to put him in position to score touchdowns, but they refuse to do it. And yeah, AJ, I mean, now even if he's playing in week 10, I guess the ankle will be a concern. AJ Dillon's going to keep getting away with this. So that means 10 to 12 touches and very, very, very few fantasy points. On the other side, kind of a similar situation where, you know, we've got, you know, if you have DeAndre Swift, you have to deal with Jamal Williams, who's had this big role over the last few weeks. DeAndre Swift's health, obviously very up in the air. How did he look to you here? He only had two rushes for 10 yards. He had three receptions for 40 yards on four targets. Williams had 24 carries for 81 yards. So lots and lots of work for Williams. Yeah, it was a weird day for DeAndre Swift, who I thought looked a lot healthier than he did in week eight. I mean, he reached the half the half the century mark on five touches. Uh, he was efficient. He provided a big play in the passing game. He looked springy on his touches, but he got the ball one more time than Justin Jackson. He disappeared for almost two entire quarters. I mean, it seemed to be part of a plan. 
and he was gone for almost two entire quarters. In the end, the most important drive of the game, he resurfaced. So they were kind of trusting him in crunch time. I mean, I guess that was a good sign. You know, Dan Campbell like, hinted during the week, basically. He wasn't close to 100% health. He was going to be snap counted. Didn't really say, like, when the snaps might come. They did come, like, early in the game when the Lions were trying to establish the tone and then late in the game when they were trying to salt it away. But yeah, it'd be hard to say it was a positive day uh, when he gets five touches and Justin Jackson gets four. And as you mentioned, Jamal Williams gets 24 for 81 yeah. yards on the ground. And I, I, it's just going to be the same frustrating story with DeAndre Swift. I feel like if you roster him, you're going to have to play him. The upside's just so high. I mean, again, 50 touches, excuse me, 50 yards and five touches. But the downside is palpable. For sure. In the passing game, uh, if you if you play DFS, you know that Brock Wright was kind of a popular play this week. So, of course, he was targeted once, did not catch a ball. And Shane Zilstra and James Mitchell both scored touchdowns. Yes. The, Perfect. No, the apparent number two and three tight ends, bo- both the touchdowns, too, were the classic where the defense just kind of gambled. Like, ah, I'm not going to cover Shane Zilstra. <laughs> they won't throw it to Shane. They're not throwing to Shane Zilstra. He ran wide open on a score. Fifth-round rookie James Mitchell ran wide open on a score. James Mitchell did get a little beat writer steam before the game. So maybe we need to pay attention to that, but he got two targets. Um, Jared Goff did only attempt 26 passes, only completed 14 of them. There probably will be some tight end volume here. I mean, even, even the fabled Brock Wright may bounce back, but uh, certainly as like the appearance of a a quagmire where the the lions really aren't sure who they want to be their post TJ Hawkinson, number one from a targets perspective. What about Amon Ross St. Brown here who had, a kind of a quiet day. Uh, I, I would say a quiet day, four for 55 on nine targets. A few quiet days in a row here for him now. Uh, just your thoughts on, you know, this isn't a win. Like, what's going on? Yeah, it, it was very disappointing. He did have, I think, the longest gain maybe for the Lions. It escapes me what it was. He had a 20-plus yard reception. Uh, but we're kind of, you know, he's like he's being like the expected fantasy points champion right now where mm. the target share was massive. Again, I mean, again, Jared Goff only attempted – 26 passes, nine targets to Amonra St. Brown. I think he was like the runaway air yards leader. So the usage still remains really good. Just the production hasn't caught up yet. I mean, now TJ Hawkinson, obviously he's lost competition over the middle of the field. He's going to remain like extremely important to this offense. And as frustrating as it's kind of been between the injuries and like the light box scores, it does seem like Amonra probably going to be a a champion regressor to the mean soon. And we're going to get some spiked weeks and we'll probably keep them in the, the low end wide receiver one or maybe high end wide receiver two mix for week 10. Yeah, maybe eventually they'll go against a capable offense like the Jets or the Giants and not yeah, these Packers. You know, gosh, we can know. we can get more than nine points. It was, <laughs> it was quite something. 2022, quite the year. Let's move to the Seahawks who defeated the Cardinals 31 to 21. Uh, this was a game where Kenneth Walker got in the end zone. He now has five straight games with a touchdown. Much better streak than the Packers have going. Much, much better streak. His second 100-yard game rushing as a pro. The second two-touchdown effort. A big-time like closeout type effort from Ken Walker. I think only had 31 yards at halftime. Then he had 78 yards after the break. Yeah, two, two rushing touchdowns on their final three drives. Kind of like the definition of closing the game out. It was like the classic, like if you had been watching this game as a Cardinals fan, like all we need to do is stop Ken Walker like, you know, first down, you're like, all right, let's hold him to a one or two yard gain here, use the timeout. And then, you know, he rips like a six or seven yard gain. <laughs> well, 
all right, we'll let him get this first down, then we'll stop him on the next first down. And, you know, it doesn't happen. And he was a handful, a total load. Uh, Travis Homer, nothing. DJ Dallas, nothing. Travis Homer, I think, had three touches. I believe Pro Football Focus charted him as out snapping DJ Dallas 21 to 2. So Travis Homer seems back in number two running back mode. But they're not challenging Ken Walker. Uh, Pete Carroll said it would be cut loose. Quote unquote, he did have new season highs and catches with three, targets with four, receiving yards in 20. Uh, so the good and bad news is there, season highs, but the bad news, of course, you know, still pretty limited passing game production at the end of the day. But, For sure. Uh, but he did get a, like, it was almost a wide receiver screen. He was like split out wide, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was. And uh, well, he was, he did, but you left, you kind of buried the lead on what happened there. Do you know what happened on this play by any chance? I do not. Uh, Geno Smith threw a pick six. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was another play I saw that he caught. Okay. Well, okay. I kind of forgot about that play, but it okay, was targeted. Yeah, yeah. On a, it was. I. It was basically a wide receiver screen. I guess you could call it a running back screen. Uh, and then it was a pick six. To but it's not like counts. what you typically think of as a running back screen. Was, no. Yeah, yeah. 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 But one of them. One of them was. I guess he completed one of them, and one was a pick six. <laughs> I, I didn't see the second one, so they yeah. went back to it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, well that that's not a good sign for his continued involvement in that in that way. I also saw Travis Homer had I think he had a twenty two yard reception. Um, so yeah, it sounds like a something little happened in this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, tell me about Noah Fant who had ninety six yards here. Uh, a pretty kind of a rumbling run. I saw him. Yeah, it, it was kind of the classic fluke box score where again, like the Seahawks were already in the clock killing mode. It was a little dump off. He somehow found the sideline. It became like one of those like tackling optional plays for the Cardinals. He runs down deep into Cardinals territory. So he is the leading receiver with 96 yards. But that 51-yard catch was more than he had had in any game so far as a Seahawk. He had not reached the 50-yard mark. Had only 26 combined yards in weeks seven and eight. Uh, Will Disley still involved for three catches for 24 yards. So when we know that – Noah fan is playmaking ability, uh, kind of natural playmaking ability, but I didn't really see much indication that, like there's like some sea change happening there. And it, it's more about one of those plays like, oh, the Cardinals probably could have tackled this guy, uh, <laughs> but they, they did not. Both Lockett and Metcalf got in the end zone here. Uh, I saw Metcalf's touchdown. It was pretty nice, kind of toe-tapping-ish in the back of the end zone. He skied over Antonio Hamilton and beat him one-on-one. And yeah, required really fancy footwork at the back end of the end zone. And then how did Lockett score? He pushed off, just to be frank. Uh, <laughs> he pushed off of the goal line and caught a nice little end zone target. Uh, a very savvy veteran wide receiver play. Nice. Uh, on the other side, we had James Conner back in this game. He rushed seven times for 45 yards. But Kyler Murray actually led the team with eight carries for 60 yards. You know, Benjamin only had four for 12. But Kyler Murray had pretty bad fumble in this game. He did. It was steaming into Seahawks territory, deep into Seahawks territory. And I believe I used in the Lions game, someone got a finger on the ball to disrupt that Aaron Rodgers completion. This was a finger on the ball while Kyler Murray was running with it. And it was enough to force a fumble. Um, that so, finger on the ball, it was like he touched part of the ball that then made it explode. I know. Of, <laughs> like it, was, it, was, it came launching out of his it hand. Did, it did. It seemed, hand, I should say. seemed highly unideal. Like <laughs> the like grenade launched the ball after someone barely touched it. Um, yeah, I mean. Maybe, maybe tuck it away. I don't know. I know. And, man, it was just a frustrating day all around. For Five more sacks for Kyler Murray, by the mm. 17 sacks over his past four starts. Uh, 
you know, just yelling at guys a lot. Again, he seemed very, very frustrated. Uh, the running game, 12 touches for James Conner. was actually a second fewest for like a game that he finished. But I mean, he was he was quite explosive on the ground, actually. He had seven carries for 45 yards, and I think his long was only 14. He had several gains of like seven or eight yards, and he probably he deserved more work, but like way too many drives were short-circuited by, by Kyler Murray Sachs or the turnover threw an interception, had another interception called back um, by a penalty. Um, so drives were kind of getting short-circuited by mistakes. Robbie Anderson made some horrible, horrible mistakes. Uh, a drop. He Robbie Anderson nuked a second DeAndre Hopkins touchdown with a false start penalty. So mm. not a crisp day for the Cardinals. On the other side of the field as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Just it completely, was completely. Yeah, it was bad. Robbie Anderson does not look like he wants to be on a 53-man roster next season. I'll say that. I do like the idea of Robbie Anderson, you know, someone who gets a lot of grief in the fantasy football world. Uh, that false start then opened up a touchdown for Zach Ertz, someone who also gets a lot of grief in the fantasy <laughs> football world. So these guys are helping each other out. They are, yeah. They got each other's backs. <laughs> Rondell Moore actually led the way here, 8 for 69 on 10 targets, didn't score. Zach Ertz scored, as I mentioned. Hopkins scored once, could have been twice, 4 for 36 on 5 targets for Hopkins. So not a huge day for him. Any thoughts on Rondell Moore who, like, you know, 10 targets led the way here. Zachary was second with eight. Yeah, now seven catches each of his past two games. It definitely seems like an actual role is materializing here. He had a few outside targets. I'll be interested to see what, like, the actual usage patterns were uh, once we start getting more data during the week. But it seemed like he's operating in the slot and outside. Uh, you know, he's not, like, blowing the doors off with his, y- with his yards for catch. I think it's, like, 10.7 yards. But honestly, it kind of feels high to me for how he's been used. I mean, the targets are so short area. Like, I get he did get a few outside targets actually today, but I think he's almost like like overachieving based on how low his average. I don't know how low the actual average depth of target is, but it's like on vibes based. You know, these targets are really really short, and he he is adding some pretty solid yards after the catch. And maybe you know, if he's finally healthy, um, maybe kind of becoming the Rondell Moore we thought we were getting last year as a rookie. Okay. That's exciting. And any thoughts on Hopkins here before we close out? No, I mean, again, he was arguing. Him and Kyler were arguing kind of like a disconcerting amount. But they kind of always do that. They kind of have like a brotherly relationship. Um, Like two really, really fierce competitors. Seem like they're not like afraid to yell at each other. But they were yelling at each other. And for the first time in three games back, you know, he caught fewer than 10 passes. Okay. All right. Fewer than yelling narrative. I know. I know. Yelling. (laughs) Again, they, they yell. Cliff and Kyler, I think, were yelling at each other, too. A lot, well, a lot of, a lot of yelling sense. on that sideline, yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot of yelling. All right, Patrick Darty, appreciate it. My pleasure. The Jaguars defeated the Raiders 27-20. to Nick Menzio, the Raiders blew a 17-point lead in this game for the second time this season. Actually, did I see somewhere that it was the third time this season? Oh. It's the most, most oh. in uh, NFL history in a single season. Okay, all right, well, <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw Field Yates tweet, tweet something about that earlier, and then he, he was saying it was the most in the single season history, and we're only halfway through the season. <laughs> Man, all right, so what happened? Uh, Derek Carr here didn't throw for an interception, 259-2. and two. Looks like, you know, a decent day for him. Devontae Adams went off, 10 receptions, 146 yards, two touchdowns on 17 targets. So how did they, how did they blow this? Yeah, I mean, they did everything in the first half. It was... Derek Carr went in the halftime with over 200 yards passing and both touchdowns were 25 and 38 yard strikes to Devontae Adams, who's just eating up this Jaguar secondary. And then I guess at halftime, they all 
took a nap and never came out <laughs> for the third and fourth quarter. So didn't score a point in the third and fourth quarter. So, I mean, Travis Etienne did all the damage for the Jaguars and Christian Kirk was uh, caught a touchdown in between it and in between Etienne's two touchdowns. So, I mean, nothing out of the ordinary. I just hear usual suspects doing damage for both teams here. Yeah, it was really nice to see Devontae Adams come back to life after last week's dud. 17 targets, obviously outrageous. Only 36 passing attempts for Derek Carr. So that's almost half of his passing attempts that we had to Devontae Adams. But Josh Jacobs didn't really have that big of a game. 17 for 67 as a rusher. Uh, he also had three targets going three for 20 through the air. So it wasn't a total disaster, but he doesn't score. Um, what, what are your thoughts on him here? I don't know, man. Like last week, it was obviously easy to blame it on game script. They just fell behind and never threatened the end zone. But th- this week, they had that 17-point lead. Um, he had a couple of big runs called back on penalties. I know that. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. There's nothing really can put her finger on to really say why he didn't do much. But, I mean, the weeks four, five, and seven, he scored – he had three straight 100-yard games, scored six touchdowns in that span. And then the other – five games he's played he's failed to reach 70 rushing yards and has no touchdowns in those other five games hmm. so it's like josh jacobs of old and all those other five games and it's like oh my god contract year jacobs in those three games and he's looking for his next big deal and i don't know he's just kind of 110 scoreless yards for the last two weeks hmm. any thoughts on the the rest of the raiders passing game here like uh just hunter renfro four targets three for 26 uh, Foster Moreau doing fill-in duty for Darren Waller, had two for 42 on five targets. Uh, Mac Hollins had four targets, only two for 17. So it's really nothing outside yeah. of Adams. Yeah, it's, it's just force feed Adams the ball, and then Morrow is like his Derek Carr's little safety blanket over the middle. Um, five targets were second on the team, I expect. I mean, I'm expecting Darren Waller to come back next week, but we've been kind of thinking this the past couple of weeks, so who knows? I mean, Morrow is virtually playing every snap with Waller out. So if Waller continues to miss, he'll be – streamer worthy on the back end of the tight end one radar but hunter renfro playing like 50 percent of the snaps as the wide receiver three um matt collins playing every snap but mainly for blocking purposes so yeah there's nothing exciting about these guys on the other side you mentioned christian kirk got in the end zone eight for 76 and a touchdown that was trevor lawrence's only touchdown of the day he threw for 235 yards he did rush at least trevor lawrence for six uh six times for 53 yards uh so not a total bust in terms of his fantasy value, but uh, what were your thoughts on this passing game? Yeah, I mean, it was Christian Kirk came into this game. We were expecting him to have a big one against this Raiders undermanned secondary, and he answered with the, his most catches in the game this season, um, found the end zone in the red zone. So, I mean, it was a good day for Kirk. And then the other guys, I mean, you're never expecting Marvin Jones, A. Jones to really be factors in fantasy. Um, Evan Gangrom was, I know, was popular. Streaming option for this one, he kind of battled a back injury, was in and out of the game in the second half. Um, that'll be something to watch going forward. I guess Dan Arnold would be the guy to look at if we're that desperate for another tight end. Um, but I don't know. Engram's injury didn't seem too serious, but yeah, it was just Christian Kirk, and that was pretty much it. That's some deep dynasty leagues where uh, where Dan Arnold is, is already <laughs> rostered and, and will be put to good use if we get him. But uh, let me ask about Travis Etienne, who had a pretty nice game here. He had 126 total yards, uh, 17 receiving, 109 rushing, two touchdowns on the ground, 28 attempts. This team is really, really using him as as their workhorse back. 
Yeah, three straight games over 80% of the snaps and three straight 100-yard games and three straight games with a touchdown all in the, all in the games that James Robinson's been gone. So, I mean, you're getting elite RB1 usage here. Yeah, I, I don't think there's too much more to say. Uh, he's, he's an elite RB1. You're playing him every week. Let's move to the Buccaneers who defeated the Rams 16-13. to This was a game where I think kind of a kind of a boring game, it seemed like, that had an exciting ending where Tom Brady was able to lead the Bucs down after they did not convert on a fourth. Uh, I don't know if it was fourth and goal, but they were going for the end zone when they when they were unable to, uh, when they turned the ball over on downs on fourth down. But then they get the ball back, drive down the field, and score the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, Scotty Miller dropped an easy touchdown on him right in the chest on that on that drive you were talking about where they uh, turned the ball over on fourth down. Um, previous before getting the ball back, um, and then Rams got it, ran three straight run plays. Um, Bucks got the ball back with 44 seconds left, and Brady just uh, kind of showed the Brady of past, marching right down the field with easy chunk gains to Scotty Miller at the sideline, K. Dotton over the middle. Um, I can't remember who drew, the, who drew the defensive pass interference in the end zone to put him at the one-yard line, but then K. Dotton called the game-winning touchdown. So, I mean, there was Brady of old on the final drive there, but before that, I mean, this game was just a snooze fest, man. Yeah, there was really nothing going on in the Bucks' backfield. Rashad White actually led the team with 27 rushing yards. Uh, Leonard Fournette only had 19 rushing yards on nine rushes, 2.1 yards per carry. White only had 3.4 yards per carry. So no efficiency here, no production in the backfield. And then Kate Otten actually led the team with 68 yards. He scores that that winning touchdown, uh, five receptions for him. Scotty Miller was second with 53 yards. Leonard Fournette was third with 41 yards. Have to get all the way down to fourth to find Mike Evans, who had five for 40 on 11 targets. Chris Godwin, seven for 36 on 10 targets. Those were the two target leaders. Uh, they combined for 21 targets, which is far more. Uh, you know, Scotty Miller had eight. Leonard Fournette had seven. Kate Otten had six. So they were way ahead of the other guys, but so inefficient. What was going on there? Yeah, I mean, Mike Evans kind of got banged up per usual early on in this game, was hobbled or hobbling a little bit, um, was also stuck in Jalen Ramsey's coverage um, for good portions of this one. Um, Chris Godwin just doesn't look like he has like his agility anymore with after the torn ACL mm-hmm. and the hamstring woes. So, I mean, he's touchdown list on the year, and he, except he's seen 10-plus targets in five or seven games. I mean, his volume's awesome, but you're just not getting touchdown throw more yards. I mean, it's – Extremely inefficient, like you said. Um, this was Mike Evans' worst game of the season, his fewest yards in the game. So expect him to bounce back next week in Seattle. Um, Chris Godwin, I don't know. I'm not as optimistic about him having big games going forward. Yeah, that's definitely definitely concerning. On the Rams side, you know, this came down to them not being able to run the ball and and run out the clock, basically. They seem like they're experimenting with everyone trying to get something going in the run game. Cam Akers was back in this game. He had five carries that only went for a total of three yards. Daryl Henderson <laughs> did at least have 4.7 yards per carry, 12 rushes for 56 yards, but uh, Malcolm Brown mixed in for a couple carries as well. What was going on in the backfield? Yeah, I mean, it seems like you said, they're just trying anyone and everyone. I mean, Cooper Cub was getting end arounds in this game too on an injured ankle. So, I mean, they were just trying anyone to move the ball for them on, on the ground. So, I mean, Henderson had a nice 23-yard run that put him in the red zone at the 10-yard line, I believe, but then they threw three straight passes and um, settled for a short field goal. I mean, this offense just cannot string plays together. They're really bad in the red zone, too. Um, it's just Cooper Cup, man. That's all they got. I don't know how he keeps 
doing this. He's injured, and the defense knows that's all they have, and yet they still can't stop him, man. He gets loose for a 69-yard touchdown before, behind the defense. Um, he counted for, I think, 77% of Matthew Stafford's receipt passing yards in this one. So it was like him and then no one else did anything. I know Tyler Higby goose-egged. Van Jefferson dropped a pass on five targets, didn't catch any of his targets. He goose-egged in the second straight week. So, I mean, there's just nobody catching passes beyond Cub. That is wild. Yeah, I just double check that. That that's right. He counted for seventy seven percent with one hundred twenty seven yards. That's seventy seven percent of the one hundred sixty five yards that Matthew Stafford threw for. Cup had eight catches on nine targets. Uh, gets that touchdown as you mentioned. So, pretty good day for him. But uh, Allen Robinson had three for twenty four. Malcolm Brown was the third leading receiver, one for ten. Brandon Powell was fourth with one for four, and then that's it. No one else had a reception other than those four guys. Higby goose egged. And Henderson goose egg, Ben Jefferson goose egg. I mean, uh, Henderson didn't goose egg goose egg because he, he had rushing production, but pretty pretty awful. Yeah, just <laughs> not a good offense right now, man. Just I can't block. Matthew Stafford just looks completely defeated, man. He's, every time he's taking sacks, he's just sitting there, sol- like he's just hangs his head. He's like, dude, there's just nowhere to go, man. Mm. Yeah, and it looked like a couple throws he had felt pick sixty. He did not have a a pick six in this game or an interception at all. But uh, I saw some dangerous throws from him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Stafford for you. I mean, and then dude, it's, it's just notable that two straight sub 200 yard games from Matthew Stafford is just crazy to think about. That is crazy. All right. Nick Menzio. Thanks. Yep. The Dolphins defeated the Bears 35-32, but Rivers McCown, the story of this game was that Justin Fields set the record for the most rushing yards in a game for a quarterback with 178. Yeah, his big uh, 61-yard touchdown was a pass play that he just kind of took off on. Um, But he was involved in like a direct run game sort of way a lot as well. So that was very exciting for fantasy fantasy leaguers. And um, thought he really broke a lot of tackles, played well in the run game. And more encouragingly, also in the pass game, he had a lot of good passes as well. Three touchdowns in this game through the air. He also scored, as you mentioned, uh, a long touchdown uh, as a rusher. So four total touchdowns, 28 attempts, 123 yards. That's not ideal, but throws a touchdown to Darnell Mooney, and he throws two to Cole Komet. Yeah, Komet, one of Komet's touchdowns is one of those like uh, tight end play action gets caught in the trash and then just kind of emerges all by himself. So that one mm-hmm. wasn't really like repl- replicable, but – his second touchdown to come out was uh, actually, you know, like a goal line sort of out thing that looked like real passing. So that was nice. Um, I thought that uh, the Chicago passing game really wanted to get Chase Claypool involved early. Uh, they did a lot of screens to him early on. He had a DPI that was deep. Um, and then he had another one at the very end of the game that could have been a DPI that they did not call, even though he's being held like viciously by this Dolphins cornerback. So, that was interesting too. Uh, Chicago really developing kind of this short, 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 hit him deep kind of thing. Okay, that's interesting. Darnell Mooney's touchdown was pretty nice in this game, right? Yes, it was a it was a strike fields at the two minute warning, just about, and uh, found him over the top. I think it was like sixteen or eighteen yards uh, from the end zone. So nice throw by Fields. Uh, Mooney looked good as usual. Um, but kind of limited, of course, because of just the nature of this offense. Sure. Uh, thoughts on the backfield here. David Montgomery, 14 for 36. Khalil Herbert, 
seven for 23. So not a ton of production. And Montgomery only had two targets going one for eight as a receiver. Yeah. Um, as as um, people who have had Lamar Jackson on their teams the past couple of years can tell you, when you are the running back next to the great running quarterback, that's not great for your fantasy value. And we saw that with Montgomery who kind of just stagnated, got the, the worst of uh, all the fields, read option decisions. Um, Herbert came in and looked more spry, I think, still, but obviously they did not continue that trend of pushing his usage upward. So um, kind of more of a flex guy again next week. But again, you are playing the Lions, so that is good news for any Bears runner. On the other side, this was already a committee. Jeff Wilson had nine carries. So did Raheem Mostert. Uh, Wilson went for 51 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. Mostert just 26 yards, 2.9 yards per carry. He does score the touchdown here as a rusher, but Wilson scored a touchdown as a receiver, three for 21 on three targets. Mostert did not catch a ball. He did get two targets, though. So Wilson actually you know, had more touches in this game. They both score. But given that it was Wilson's first game with the Dolphins, did this feel like maybe he's already on his way to taking this back to liver? Yeah, it seemed like um, Mostert got most of the early work, and then they started working Wilson in about the second quarter, and they were like, all of a sudden, hey, this Jeff Wilson guy, we should we should do this more. This guy, wow, <laughs> this is great. And they just kept going to him. He kind of eliminated uh, Mike Kosicki from the game plan altogether. I think Kosicki had like one catch for three yards or something. Um, Interesting. So, so yeah, uh, Wilson definitely looks like the better of the two backs if you want to include receiving and uh, probably like a 60-40 timeshare coming his way. And are you, you're mentioning Jasicki there because he's not so much a blocker that it was going to be more Smythe and, and Hunter Long and stuff out there instead of Gasicki? Yeah, they, they the kind of balls that, that Gasicki and uh, those guys have been catching have been, you know, flat stuff. Uh, okay, maybe a little okay. bit, a little bit beyond that, and Wilson was catching some of, some of those balls. Gotcha. Tyree Kill went off here for 143 yards, finally scoring a touchdown. You know, after a pretty nice game last week, but didn't didn't score. He had eight targets, caught seven. Jalen Waddle also got in the end zone, seven targets, five for 85. So, same old Dolphins passing game here. Highly concentrated to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, but productive. Two had three touchdowns, threw for 302 yards. Uh, anything anything to note here is just kind of you know steady as it goes with with the Dolphins. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a, for for two as blurb that this was the the standard game for him three hundred three, and people took that as kind of like an insult. No, that that's good. That's that's uh, you know he did what he does what he does, which is he underthrew a couple of balls in big moments. Uh, he mm-hmm. kind of gopher hopped this ball to Smythe on fourth down, and he underthrew Waddle deep on a ball that could have ended the game before. They punted back to the Bears on the final drive. So, um, you know, it wasn't like everything was always amazing, but when McDaniel schemes these guys open, he hits them. He's very accurate. And Tyreek finally got his red zone uh, touchdown kind of on a, like a quick out. So good for him. Um, I think this just keeps continuing to be QB1, uh, wide receiver one, wide receiver one for fantasy leagues. For sure. Describe that play real quick that you said he go for hopped because that, that was potentially like a game losing type of throw. Yeah, so he's like kind of uh, sprinting right. This is uh, fourth and short, and uh, he has Smythe open in the flats and like open. Just like he, he he leaves it maybe like a yard short of his hands. Yeah, and then they they punt it back to the Bears. So the Bears couldn't uh, 
they could have drove drove down and, and tied the game at that point, but weren't able to do so. Is that right? Yeah, the Bears. Uh... They had the, the they had that Claypool uh, DPI that should have been I, told, I talked about, and then yep. on fourth and ten, Fields hits Equinemy Stamp Brown right in his hands, and he drops it uh, for one to continue the drive. Ah, so. That's brutal. That's tough. If uh, but I mean, Fields look great. But if you're a Bears fan, do you really care about the win? Maybe not. I don't know. But but yeah, it was uh, really good to see Fields get out there. Really, really excited to fire him up as a QB one next week against the Lions. Yeah, the going toe to toe with this Dolphins offense is pretty impressive, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like if you're a Bears fan, you'd rather see Justin Fields looking like that and and lose than you know get a win and and have any concerns about Fields. So, kind of a yeah. And I, a cover, I, I covered this team. one. I covered this team in Week Three, and they could not throw the ball at all to save their lives. No. So this is one of this is like one of the great underreported stories that just kind of finally bubbled to the surface here after what they did to the Patriots on Monday night and then come here and uh, give the Dolphins a run for their money. Yeah. All right. Exciting stuff. Thanks, Herbs. Yep. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. The Patriots defeated the Colts 26-3. The Colts have now scored 29 points total in their last three games. They've scored less than 21 in eight of nine games this season, the Colts have lost three straight. This is a brutal game, which I covered. Uh, Matt Judon had three sacks in this game. He leads the NFL with 11.5, uh, just getting after Sam Ellinger all day. Ellinger took, Ellinger took nine sacks in this game. It was, it was absolutely awful for the Colts. Um, Ellinger had 103 yards passing. He had one interception. The interception was actually like not really his fault. It was at the end of the game. He was a bit of a high throw, but it's kind of skipped off of Kylan Granson's hands and uh, was a pick six. And that sealed the game for the Patriots, sealed a very, very convincing win for the Patriots. The game was kind of already over before that, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it was, it was really rough for Ellinger. He... You know, one one completion to Alec Pierce for 23 yards, where he 
was over the middle of the field and kind of uh, took it across and then up the sideline a little bit. You know, 23-yard reception, eh, you know, fine. That was enough, that one catch, to make Pierce the Colts' leading receiver in this game. He only had the one catch. Still, the leading receiver, Michael Pittman, had three for 22 on six targets. Jordan Wilkins was third with 15 yards, uh, tied Paris Campbell. Both of them had 15 yards for to be uh, tied for the third leading receiver here. It was just um, absolutely brutal, absolutely brutal for the Colts. Deion Jackson had 23 rushing yards. That's 2.1 yards per carry on his 11 rushes, a long of five yards. I mean, just nothing going for Deion Jackson. He had an injury scare in this game. He went down, uh, taken down on a tackles, uh, just out of bounds, holding his knee and looked potentially like very serious, but then he was jogging on the sideline and back in the game. So definitely kind of dodged a bullet there. Look like, you know, it's his knee. So it looked very, very concerning when, when he was grabbing his knee on the ground. So uh, luckily he was fine. Uh, but, I think maybe his snaps were still down uh, from where they might have been. Jordan Wilkins rushed three times for 13 yards, but he saw five targets going four for 15 through the air. Deion Jackson saw three targets going two for 13. So, you know, maybe if not for that, that knee scare, you know, maybe he gets a couple extra targets here, but still, I mean, you know, there just wasn't really any value to be had in this entire offense. And I'm not sure there's going to be any value to be had going forward with Ellinger at quarterback, or even if Matt Ryan's a quarterback, because they just can't protect the quarterback. And, you know, Ellinger was supposed to be able to maybe handle pressure a little bit, and uh, that, that is not working out. He did rush for 39 yards, Sam Ellinger, on five carries. He's kind of a weird rusher. Uh, he, he doesn't really, like, ever sort of tuck the ball away. He kind of tends to, like, hold the ball between his chest, like – like he's almost still going to throw it, but he's running. So he doesn't seem to like, it's like he hasn't made like committed to the idea that he's actually going to scramble. He doesn't seem all that willing or like interested in scrambling, I guess. Like, and he also wasn't particularly aggressive as a downfield thrower. It's just not a lot of positives here at all on the Colts. So let's move to the Patriots side where there honestly wasn't a ton going on either Mac Jones had 30 attempts, 147 passing yards, does throw for one touchdown. That was to Ramondre Stevenson. It's kind of a little out route from Stevenson towards the pylon. Caught it with one hand and uh, you know, then kind of scoots into the end zone. That was a three-yard reception. It was set up by a blocked punt. So the only reason they're in scoring position was their special teams. Weirdly, J.J. Taylor got the first down carry. And again, you know, that was it wasn't like he was already on the field. That was the first play of the drive was was this first and goal carry goes to J.J. Taylor. Kind of odd, you know, not a great sign for Ramondre Stevenson, I would say. But then Ramondre Stevenson came right in on second and goal and scores on that reception. So I'm not sure what was happening there at that first and goal carry that J.J. Taylor got. But it was part of like a larger issue for Stevenson, which was that Taylor was involved. This was not like a game at all where Stevenson had, you know, 80, 85% of the snaps or anything like that. Taylor had 10 rushes in this game. He only rushed for nine yards on on the 10 carries. So that wasn't good, but um, it hurt Stevenson. who had 15 carries for 60 yards, you know, 
he ran pretty well, I thought. Four yards of carry, nothing special, but he, he looked pretty good, I thought. And then he obviously has that great catch, three for 10 as a receiver on seven targets. So he's highly involved in the receiving game. Um, J.J. Taylor only had one target. So it wasn't like Taylor crushed Stevenson, Stevenson's value. But in this game where there just wasn't a lot of offense, it really did hurt that Stevenson wasn't a total workhorse here. Uh, Jacoby Myers, pretty quiet here. Six targets, five for 42 as a receiver. He lost a fumble. Uh, ball was punched out. It was a pretty good play by the defense. Uh, but, you know, definitely a disappointing day for Myers. Hunter Henry led the team, actually, with 50 receiving yards. Four targets, four catches, and 50 receiving yards. But he basically got wide open on one play. That went for 30 yards. Pretty quiet otherwise. Yeah, I mean, just really nothing going on here in the the Patriots receiving game. I think you could still continue to kind of think of Myers as the clear-cut number one, even though it's a bit of a down game here. Uh, Tyquan Thornton only had four targets, but he, he only caught one of them for five yards. Kendrick Bourne was not all that involved. Four targets, three for 11 for him. So... I think, yeah, it's Stevenson if um, if Damian Harris is out again, although I believe they head in the, into their bye week. So one would imagine that Harris is back when they return in week 11. I think they're playing the Jets. So you're looking at probably an RB2 in Stevenson and Jacoby Myers, kind of a wide receiver three flex type. Not, not a ton going on here. Uh, I, you know, if they hadn't gotten uh, the pick six and if they hadn't gotten a block punt, I think we'd be talking about just a – a defensive battle from uh, two defenses that maybe even aren't that great. It's just the fact that the Colts cannot protect the quarterback and uh, the, the Patriots aren't that looking that great on offense either. But that'll do it for the Patriots and the Colts. The Bengals defeated the Panthers 42-21. to And Mark Garcia, Joe Mixon here had five touchdowns. His fantasy performance in this game was top five among running backs all time. Yeah, and uh, it was pretty evident from the jump that the game plan this week involved Mixon early and often after they got embarrassed on Halloween night. Um, He ripped off his first, his second, and his third longest rushes of the season. He ripped off his longest reception of the season, um, all en route to scoring four touchdowns at half. Um, Ended up popping in the fifth one um, on the only score in the second half. But yeah, this was... It was a game that was went into halftime 35 to nothing. The Bengals just um, absolutely dominated on both sides of the ball. The I think the the Panthers only had one first down in the first half, and it was off of penalty. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of the just utter dominance that we saw from the Bengals today. What's interesting about the dominance is that so Joe Burrow threw for 206 yards and one touchdown to Mixon. Um, Mixon had 22 carries for 153 yards and the four touchdowns, but only 153 yards. The offense as a whole, right, is not putting up that many yards. How was it the case that Mixon was able to score five touchdowns with so kind of little offensive output in terms of the yardage? Yeah, and it's a, it was a case of field positioning, um, basically, because the, the Bengals only ran 67 offensive plays um, above average. League average is about 62 this year. Um, but still, 67 is nothing kind of to write home about you know we've seen the Colts run like 92 offensive plays from scrimmage um, this season so it was purely a function of you know their PJ Walker threw two interceptions in the first half to set up um, decent field position 
that said, like the Bengals just were hyper efficient today. They they made their possessions count. They scored a touchdown on all but one of their offensive possessions in the first half, and that wow. was a three and out on their second look. So, um, yeah, it was just a basically just a case of efficiency here. That's pretty interesting. Um, T. Higgins had 60 yards in this game, uh, caught seven of eight targets. Uh, Tyler Boyd had 44 yards, caught five of six. Joe Mixon was actually the second leading receiver, four for 58 on five targets. It really was kind of all Joe Mixon on the Bengals side. A- anything else to say about like a non-Joe Mixon uh, Bengal here? <laughs> Uh, T Higgins was very often a first read um, and getting targeted Mm -hmm. on a first read in this game. Um, It just was a function of um, them not really needing to throw the ball a whole ton of a whole heck of a lot here. Tyler Boyd um, and Hayden Hurst both were utilized on first read design plays on first downs. They were both utilized on first read design plays on third downs, which is kind of where those guys um, make their money over the middle of the field. Um, Both were hyper efficient. As you see, the offense overall was, was fairly efficient. Um, but yeah, it was just a case of, of Joe Mixon running ham here. So on the other side, we've got this Panthers team that's you know heading into the half down by a ton, and we don't really get much in terms of you know comeback mode production from DJ Moore. Six targets, two for twenty-four. Very quiet day. Terrace Marshall kind of benefited from that script more. He had uh, six targets, three for fifty-three, and he scored a touchdown. Um, Obviously, Deontay Foreman, he had 7 for 23 rushing, and it's just an awful, awful script for more of a two-down type of guy. He, you know, He's a little involved in the passing game, but a really bad game script for Foreman, I'd say. But you know, also really disappointing for DJ Moore. And it, like, what, I, your thoughts on, on this Panthers passing game where you know, I was seeing Baker Mayfield back out there. Yeah, and that, I think, is the signal here. I think that... Baker Mayfield um, came in in relief of P.J. Walker at halftime. Uh, He actually ended up leading three touchdown drives on four second-half possessions. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're probably going to hear some talk about the quarterback situation moving forward. Do they go back to Baker? Do they see um, what this team could look like for the future with P.J. Walker? But we've seen over the first six games of the season – DJ Moore not be on the same page as Baker Mayfield. And I think just the offensive struggles in the first half and then Baker coming in in the second half probably had a lot to do with DJ Moore's performance here. That That is interesting. Yeah, if you're trying to do comeback mode and then Baker comes back, who cannot for the life of him connect with Moore, that's going yeah. to kill that. Okay. Any thoughts on Marshall, who's become kind of like, you know, someone that's getting picked up in deeper leagues and you know gets in the end zone here? kind of a cheap DFS bring back type of guy on some mix and stuff with that, that would have worked out this week. Um, is he, is he kind of anything? He's very clearly the number two in Carolina. Uh, what that means for fantasy utility moving forward. Tough to say this was his first career touchdown reception. Um, he's coming off of two weeks after the Robbie Anderson trade where he played 86% of the offensive snaps and then 93% of the offensive snaps. We look at this week, he played only 36% of the offensive snaps. So again, difficult to say moving forward, whether or not um, he should bring some fantasy utility to the table down the second half of the season, Um, but definitely worth um, a speculative ad if he kind of increases his snap rate here over the second half of the season. Any thoughts on the backfield here? It seems like, you know, we saw a decent amount of Raheem Blackshear, Spencer Brown, 
Um, so it was, was Foreman like not just scripted out, but sort of like pulled from this game? It's difficult to say whether he was pulled. He definitely ceded snaps um, to Spencer Brown and Raheem Blackshear in the second half. Raheem Blackshear played basically the entire final possession of the game, um, ended up uh, with that rushing score late there. Um, but it's, I, I think we're going to see this coming week some speculation about the starting quarterback, and we're probably going to start to see some talk about this backfield as well with Chuba Hubbard looking likely uh, to return here shortly. All right, Mark Garcia, thanks so much. All right, that'll do it for the Week 9 Recap Podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out all the other great content that we have on the podcast feed for you. And uh, go ahead and leave us an iTunes review if you're enjoying what we're doing here on the Recap Podcast. But we'll see you back for the Week 10 Recap Podcast next Sunday night. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.